It's time for late night hashtag. Here you go. These are lists on Twitter, you guys, where we give you the topic and you send in the tweets. Uh, so because of the recent controversy over the NFL replacing referees, I went on Twitter and started a hashtag called Oops My Bad. And I asked you guys at home to tweet out something funny, weird, or embarrassing that you've done. We got thousands of tweets. In fact, within a half hour, it was a trending topic in the United States, which is awesome. So thank you for those tweets. And now I thought I'd share some of my favorite Oops, my bad. Tweets from you guys. Here we go. This first one's from at Zilla51. He says, on a first date, the waitress asked me if I wanted my burger cooked medium. I was confused and responded with, no, large. <laughs> not talking about the size of the burger, sir. The temperature. Don't shrink my burger. <laughs> Oops. My bad. This one's from at MS emails. He says, on the doorstep with a girl after our first kiss, I was at a loss for words. I turned to a nearby broom and said, cool broom. <laughs> Smooth, man. I bet a... Hey, that's, that's a pretty a... cool broom. Uh, this one's from at email Manwich. She says, I took a photo of a guy asleep on the subway. My flash went off and woke him up. We rode 10 more stops together. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Sorry about that. I was just thinking of a photo of you sleeping. This one's from at DRJ Titus. He said, I explained to Grandma what planking was. Guess what happened in the next family photo? Look at this. There's Grandma right there. <laughs> this one's from at Paul Trafka. He says, After my first kiss, I said, That was my first kiss. Cool broom. Want a plank? This one's from at A4D Zach13. She says, I yelled at a waitress for not giving me four tortillas. She then pointed to the menu and said, flour tortillas. <laughs> well, then, uh, sorry, I think you uh, spelled it wrong. <laughs> this last one is that. Doll for Rob, she says, at my son's birthday party, kids were hitting the pinata, but nothing was coming out. I didn't know it came empty. Eight crying kids. <laughs> my bad. There you have it. Tonight's late night hashtag. Well, we are beginning a brand new series today called God Tweets, and if there's one thing that life uh, sends your way, is that you put on the spot. And all of a sudden, you get put on the spot, and what are you going to say? Just like the band got stumped, and all of a sudden they had to react. Many times we're reacting. We're reacting to what people say to us in a situation. We're reacting to what people are, are, are saying about us. And Twitter has made things far worse, because now there's a whole global audience to our goof-ups. We don't just put our foot in our mouth, we actually put our foot on the internet now. And it's not just teenagers, it's not just 20-somethings that are actually getting themselves in trouble with their communication on Twitter. In fact, if you uh, saw the executive at uh, PayPal, he uh, had just been hired as a global strategist. He got himself a brand new phone, and it was an Android, and worked a little bit differently than his previous one. And he was complaining about his boss, the vice president of PayPal, and he was complaining about an investor that chose not to invest in his company, and he used very colorful and pirate-like language. But he did not do a direct message. He Twittered all of his followers, and he lost his job because of the trouble with Twitter. Remember about six months ago, maybe it was nine months ago, a PR executive created a PR problem with an incredibly inappropriate comment about AIDS and Africa right before she got on a plane to head over to Africa. 
the media storm went out as people were reacting to this horrible thing that she put out there, but they couldn't contact her as a company until she landed. By the time she landed and they confirmed it really was her account, it hadn't been hacked, she lost her job with one poor, terrible tweet. We're finding the New York Times reported that the students aren't getting into college. They're being denied admission because of things that are found reported on their Twitter account. And whether you use Twitter or not, the God Tweet series is going to be something valuable for all of us. It's about how do we use our words? How do we communicate? How do we keep our foot out of our mouth? How do we keep our foot out of the Internet? How do we communicate in a way that is effective and constructive rather than destructive to the people around us and even to ourselves. You know, we have a tendency to repeat our mistakes, don't we? We have a tendency to repeat our mistakes, and yet this series is going to be about how you can not repeat your mistakes, but instead retweet God's successes. Instead of repeating your mistakes and sort of tendencies you have in communication to put your foot in your mouth, we're going to talk about how to retweet God's successes. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This is not a series about trying harder to be a better communicator, although there will be some aspects to it. It's not a win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie kind of thing. The Bible offers a very unique perspective on how to work on what comes out of our mouth. Is that we actually become close to and get to know God. And as we get to know Him and how He communicates, it so impacts our heart, we begin to retweet to others what's been tweeted to us by God. Theologians call this the communicable attributes of God. Meaning there's some things about God that you can't catch, like a communicable disease. You get around God, you get to know Him, you explore who He is, you don't ever catch His omniscience. You don't ever catch His omnipresence. You don't ever catch His incommunicable properties, but you can catch His communicable ones. I'll give you an example. When you find out how patient God is with you, and it really begins to touch your heart. You begin to say, wow, in light of how patient he's been to me, I'm going to start retweeting that to other people and being patient to them. When you find out how slow to anger God is toward you, you begin to retreat treat that toward others by being slower to anger with them. And so as you get close to God and you begin to find out what he is doing and wants to communicate with you, it's contagious. It's communicable. You end up finding yourselves becoming a more joyful, more loving, more caring person. Not because you've tried harder. Because when you try harder, if you're like me, I just end up repeating my same mistakes. And I feel even worse because I even tried really hard and it didn't work this time. Instead, when you get to know who God is and the God of the Bible, you become a better communicator. But for a far different reason than trying harder. You're actually retweeting his successes. So we're going to get three of God's tweets today. As we look at those, we're going to look at uh, how to avoid the rash, how to take out the trash, and how to make a splash. And these are little phrases in the Bible. In fact, as you came in today, you got a, a copy of some God tweets that we're going to be using for this series. These are little 140 character or less passages, proverbs, references in the Bible that we can use and we're going to use together to begin to work on our communication. And my hope is, as we begin to explore this together, that this series will help save you a lot of pain. A lot of embarrassment. More than that, that you will have a source, a real source for lasting change in impacting your communication. We'll start with the first one. Avoid the rash. Here's what it says in the Bible. Uh, a guy named Solomon was a king. He worked on the national and international front. And he realized that words matter with people. And he said this. He said, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. 
Another way to say it is, there's one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let's just meditate on what that means. That we need to be careful not to speak rashly. We need to avoid the rash. Well, how would you do that? What does that mean? Well, when you speak rashly, what happens is it becomes like a thrust of the sword. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, when we don't think before we speak, we end up hurling knives and hurling comments into folks just like a sword. And the contrast to that, the opposite of that, is someone who's wise. So it's foolish to speak rashly. It's wise to instead slow down because when we use our words wisely, what does it say? The tongue of the wise promotes health. Or another way to say it is, the tongue of the wise brings healing to other people. See, to be rash is to be reactionary. We react to the situation. In fact, the idea of a sword is you defend yourself, right? Many times, when I get myself in the most trouble is because I'm defending myself against an accusation or a perceived accusation from a colleague, from my spouse, from a child, and I'm reacting to it. So I've got my swords up because I'm defending myself. And we're going to find that what God does in your heart can make you less defensive, so you're not always pulling the swords out to defend yourself. Because the same swords I pull out to defend myself, unfortunately... A few minutes or hours later become the same swords that I end up stabbing through a word into somebody I care about. When we speak rashly, it's not just reactive, it's also sometimes we unintentionally hurt people while we're protecting ourselves. There's a great book I read a couple years ago called The Five Languages of an Apology. And what it describes is that when we hurt each other, when we plunge a sword into somebody that we care about, there are five ways to repair that. And those apologies, there's four or five aspects to an apology, and some of us have the apology language of admitting you're wrong. And so you get into a, a, a dialogue with your son or your daughter or your spouse or a colleague, and you're waiting for them to say, I was wrong and you were right. But there's another language that is far more prevalent in relationships, and that's the need for someone to feel bad that they hurt you, even if you weren't right or wrong. And I know for me, that's my primary love language. So when I'm in a conversation with my spouse, you know, I don't really care whose fault it was, ultimately. I just think, think, oh, even if you didn't mean to put this in, could you feel bad that there's blood gushing out of me? And so for me, one of the ways I bring, it brings healing to me is just when you say, well, I'm, I'm sorry that hurt you. Well, I'm sorry. Even if you didn't intend it. And so one of the things you can be healing or you can bring health to other folks is when you, even when you unintentionally hurt somebody and they say, well, I got hurt. And if you're like me, you immediately defend yourself. That's not what I meant. That's not what I said. You took it the wrong way. You're too sensitive, right? All the swords are up. And say, so whoa, whoa, I'm reacting. When you say something stupid and you're embarrassed by it and you see that it's plunged a sword into somebody you care about, the tongue of the wise says, even though I didn't mean to, I can still apologize and feel bad that I hurt you. And you can bring healing through that. That's what the tongue of the wise does. It says, I want to avoid the rash. But even when I find myself making rash comments, I'm going to respond in such a way to say, I'm sorry I pierced you. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry you're hurt because of this. And so instead of looking at everything through the lens of who's right and who's wrong, look, look at your relationship through the lens of how can I bring healing through my words? How can I make repair attempts in our relationship? And here's how the grace of God helps you with that. One of the main things that makes me reactionary or rash is because I'm defending myself. And over the years, 
I began to discover the communicable attributes of God. And one of those is that God says that he knows everything about me. The good, the bad, and the very, very, very ugly. And yet God chooses to love me, to accept me, to draw near to me, to forgive me. And he says that your relationship with me, Chad, is not based on what you do, good or bad. It's based on what I've done for you. So I'm now fully accepted. This is the message of the Bible. You can be fully accepted regardless of what you do wrong. It's like the Bible shines a spotlight on all your wrongdoing and says it's far worse than you thought. But I still love you. And no longer will I, will I accept you based on what you've done. I will accept you based on what I've done. Now here's what that does. That creates an incredible sense of acceptance and security. So when you're being criticized or when you're being attacked, it's, you still don't like it. It still hurts. But it's no longer coming at your core identity. Your core identity is now who God accepts you to be. And so you don't have to defend yourself as much because you're secure based on what God's done. What it allows you to do is to suddenly say, when somebody criticizes you, well, God had to forgive me of a lot of stuff. It's very possible that what this person is bringing to me is true. Matter of fact, I, I can be so self-deceived about my own brokenness, probably whatever I did in that conversation was worse than I even think. But you're able to be honest about that possibility because you're accepted by God. And because he accepted you and you're secure in that, you're able to finally be open and less guarded and a little less defensive. And even in a conversation, you find yourself saying, okay, oh, I'm getting defensive. God, I want to open myself up that this might be true. This is the kind of thing you said you had to forgive me for. I'll give you a couple examples. I uh, was working with a boss uh, years ago. And uh, down in Atlanta, and as I was working with him, I was just very uh, ticked off and very sarcastic, and um, some of this passive-aggressive anger started coming out in inappropriate ways. One of which was, we had presumed that we were going to move forward with this building campaign, and so we put this big sign up in front of the church that said, you know, um, construction begins on September 2015. And we hadn't even begun the campaign yet. And as building campaigns go, they're very, very difficult, they're very, very challenging, and they take a lot of work. And as I drove by the sign, our maintenance guy was pounding the sign in one day. And as he put it in, I drove by, and I was the associate pastor at the time. And I stopped and I said, well, pretty presumptuous, huh? And I didn't think anything of it. Well, about a week later, I get called in the pastor's office. He says, I said, what's going on? He said, are you aware that you are undermining our movement in this, in this campaign by making sarcastic comments? I said, no. I didn't remember I'd said it. He says, well, I was talking to Dennis, our, our facilities guy, and he said, you said this. And instantly at that moment, I remembered I'd said it. And, of course, my reaction was defend, rationalize, excuse, right? Those are all, those are all the tools I reached for. And, and at that moment, that's where you take this grace of God. When you begin to understand this, you say, okay, God, I'm more broken than I thought I was. Even as a pastor, I'm destroying the, the, the church's initiatives through my sarcasm. And I, in that moment, just that brief moment, I let the grace of God sort of sit on me. I'm secure. Even if I lose my job, I'm still secure. I've got to be truthful. You know, I did. I am sorry. I was wrong. Which surprised him, actually. Really. And, but it just allowed me to be more open to what God was doing. I had another uh, guy that was one of my employees. He was a music director. And I uh, approached him one day. I said, I'm really trying to grow. I'm beginning to understand that God accepts me no matter what I've done. But I want to really become more honest about what's broken in me. So have you seen anything working for me over the last couple of years that would just help me grow? 
Now, a few years earlier than that, I couldn't have said that. My security was based on how I was perceived. My security was based on how my employees viewed me. But now that I've begun to understand the security I had in God, that his communicable attributes of, of acceptance and love were impacting me, I was now a little more open about even seeking feedback of where I was wrong. Well, little did I know that he had been waiting for the chance for me to ask that. Man, I'll still remember sitting in the car as we finished lunch. And I thought it was going to be a quick, yeah, Chad, you got to work on this and this. Uh, Other than that, you're a great guy. See ya. Forty-five minutes later, at the end of this conversation, he said, Chad, I never had the guts to say this to you, but now you've asked. And he just laid out a whole series of ways in which arrogance and thinking I was better than I really was and how that was coming out in, in different ways in the organization and how he did love me, he did care about me, he did see my strengths, but I had a huge blind spot in this area. Yet I trace the last, really, 15 years of my life, what God's done in my heart, to God allowing me to seek feedback from him. And even though those words might have felt like a sword, they weren't a sword. They're actually the opposite. They were healing because they were able to poke holes and touch on areas that I need to work on. But I couldn't have done that if I hadn't first experienced and be integrating the grace of God. So the way you avoid the rash is not try harder not to be dumb. Understand who God is. Understand, if God was going to speak about all the mistakes you've made, he'd have plenty of material. And yet he doesn't. In fact, as you begin to read about the Jesus of the Bible, you find a God who's so kind. He's so tender. He's so slow to anger. He's so appropriate. He's so gentle. As you get to know how he communicates, you start saying, man, I need to retweet that. I need to be more like that. And then you begin to understand that he speaks that way toward you. Then you say, well, if he speaks that way toward me, I need to pass that along to others. That's how you avoid the rash. The next tweet we're going to look at is how to put out the trash. (laughs) How do you put out the trash? A lot of us have a lot of trash in our life, a lot of trash in the way we communicate. How do we get rid of this trash? Well, there's another little tweet in Colossians 3.8 where God says it's time to put some things away. Put out the trash. Put away this stuff. But you now yourselves are to put off or put away or take out all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. To which your reaction might be, well, what's the difference between anger and wrath? If you look at the words, these are written in Greek originally. I'll tell you a little bit what these words are. These are some of the destructive things that come out of our mouth. Let's go to the next slide. As it describes the difference, anger is a word, organ, which means an attitude of smoldering hatred. So rather than the person who's got an outburst and sort of says stuff, this is that passive-aggressive, I'm ticked off, but I'm not saying anything. I'm ticked off, I'm just going to withdraw affection. I'm ticked off, and I'm just going to uh, purposely procrastinate because I know it pushes your buttons. I'm going to purposely not do what you want because it's my way of controlling you because I don't want you to control me. So in one sense, your communication is in your non-communication, and it's piercing your relationships. Contrast that with wrath. Wrath comes from a different word, tyrmon, which means an acute outburst of rage or rage. Malice is intention to do ill will. Blasphemy is evil speaking. It's actually more like gossip when you're purposely trying to to take somebody's opportunities down or their reputation down. Now, if you're like me, most of us have this tendency to say, well, I'm basically a good person. We build our identity on being basically a good person. So we say, oh, I know people like that. As we're listening to the message right now, you're thinking, you know, I need to get this CD for somebody. My mother-in-law needs this. My, 
my, my, you know, my brother, he, this would be so good for him. And you're already doing it. You're already justifying, excusing, refusing to think about where you're wrong. I, don't, I do it too. But, but focus for a second. Focus with me. If there's a God who accepts you, not based on what, you're, what you do right or wrong, you can finally say, okay, well then I can finally look really at what I do wrong. And in, until you have unconditional grace, you're never going to do that. And you start going, okay, I'm, God might still love me based on this. Maybe I'm not such a good person. Let's be honest about it. Man, every day I've got organ coming out of me in some way. Boy, just push the right buttons, put the right time, and get my emotional tanks or my physical tanks a little low. And boy, I do lose my temper. And there's times it's not an accident. It's not that I missaid or you misunderstood. There's sometimes I purposely said stuff to hurt people. Even people I love. What is wrong with me? And God said, there is something wrong with you. But I will accept you where you are and I'll work with you to fix that. But until you admit that something's broken, we can't work. And this is why the grace of God allows you to begin to take out the trash. But it's not willpower. And let me tell you what the Bible describes. It's so amazing. It's like this. A story was once told of a, of a pauper and a prince. Or it's a bum and a king. This bum... He had no money. He had no resources. He, he wore filthy clothes. He'd had them for years. They stank because he couldn't take a shower. And he's just wandering around the village. And one day the king came out. And the king came to the bum and said, Would you come and live with me in the palace? Me live with you? No, you wouldn't want me. Yes, I do. And the king takes the bum and brings him to the palace. And he says, This is your room. It's incredible. I mean, he's been living on the streets. He's got this royal accommodation, a beautiful bed. He can't remember the last time he sat on the bed. He goes, and here's your shower. My shower? When's the last time I took a shower? And so he goes, I want you to know you're not only going to live here. I'm going to adopt you into my inheritance. You are going to be an heir to everything I have. You're going to operate like a son. You're going to come to dinner with us. You are family now. And that bum comes and takes a shower. And, oh, he just feels it washed off. He feels just the, the dirt, the grime, the grief is all washed off. And he steps out of the shower. And there's brand new clothes right there that the king has provided for him to wear. He has a new identity, a new reality, a new character. And there is a pile of clothes that he's worn for two years. The dirty, grimy clothes. And what does he do? Well, he puts on what's most comfortable for him. He's not used to seeing himself in those clothes. So he comes to dinner, fully washed and cleaned, but still wearing the old clothes. To which the king says, you're not a bum anymore. You don't need to wear those things. Because you have a new identity, you can put away the trash. And change, your relationship to those clothes have changed. To which the bum didn't even think to put on the new clothes. Those were too nice for him. He wasn't worthy of them. He still saw himself as a bum, not as a prince. Now, this is exactly what Paul is saying happens to you when you get to know the main message of the Bible. The very next verse describes the motivation for changing your speech patterns. He says, do not lie to one another. Okay, well, how? Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The message of the Bible is you come to God like a bum and you've got trash and, 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 and you're reactive and you're defensive and you're mad and you react in certain ways. And God says, I will adopt you into my family. I will make you a prince. And now that you are washed clean and pure, you have a choice. 
You can put on those old habits that you needed to defend yourself when you didn't have grace. You can need to react and get mad because you didn't know you were fully loved. You can still put on those clothes, but you don't need to anymore. You're no longer who you were. You're now something new. You are a new creation. And that's how you can tell if you're a real Christian versus a churchgoer or a religious person. A real follower of Christ begins to understand, I've become something new. It's not just that I come to this building on Sundays. God's doing something in me. I've become something new. And because I've become something new, I can now respond to the trash in my life differently. Oh, I still tendency, uh, every once in a while I'll pick it up and I'll put on my defensiveness, but I get about halfway on I'm like, man, I don't like how this fits anymore. And I don't pull it on quite as much as I used to. Or I catch myself and go, you know what? I'm defending myself because my identity used to be based on how I'm perceived. Now I have an identity based on the king. And that grace, that communicable attributes of God begins to wash over you. You're no longer attached to your trash. And now as stuff comes out of your mouth, you say, I don't need to act like that. I don't need to respond that way. I want to put away lies. I was lying to make myself look better than I am. I can be honest about my good and my bad now. That's how the grace of God changes you. Or think of it this way. The Bible says there's sort of a passive-aggressive anger in all of us because we know at some level that there's reasons why people might not love us or respect us because we know what's really broken with us. But all of a sudden it says, but what if somebody more important than whatever you currently think is important, your self-image, your beauty, right now that's defining your, your identity and so you've got to pretend to be something more than you are. But imagine your hero, whoever your idol is. Let's say your idol is Steve Jobs. And imagine before he died, he called you into his office one day. And he said, I want you to know that I have seen your work and you're one of the most inventive, one of the most creative, one of the most entrepreneurial leaders I've ever met and you're going to change the world. What just happened? The most important person in your life just esteemed you and told you what's true about you. And then you're stepping out of his office. As you step out of the office, this snot-nosed teenager comes up to you, trips over your leg and says, What are you doing? Can't you even walk straight? You're the most narrow-minded idiot I've ever met. How are you going to handle the snot-nosed teenager compared to Steve Jobs? Oh, you still don't like the fact that he said that, but you're in general going to say, He doesn't know what he's talking about. Steve Jobs just told me that I'm the most entrepreneurial, most creative person in the world. So you still don't like it, but you're reacting differently. The weight of his words no longer had the weight they once did because someone far more important's words have impacted your heart. This is what happens when God, the master of the universe, the most important, when God becomes your idol, your American idol, your heart's idol becomes God and his view of you. You still don't like being criticized. You still don't like it when things don't go well. But you can put them in their proper place where they no longer make your heart react the way it once did. And you're able to avoid the rash because you started to put out the trash in his grace. Well, the third tweet that God has is to make a splash. And I think in one sense, if you're to talk about our current culture and Twitter and all the things going on with YouTube in the last you know, five, ten years, if there's an obsession in our culture today, it's an obsession not to make money, it's an obsession to be famous. I want to be famous. I want to be a star. I want to have my two minutes of fame. Oh, I want to be on TV. And that's not just this culture. There's something in all of us. We walk into a room, don't we? We walk into a room and we want to make a splash. We don't say it out loud, but it comes like this. I wonder how people are thinking about me. Did anyone else wear the dress I wore? No, that's not mine, by the way. (laughs) I wonder where I sit in the pecking order. 
There's some C-suite people over here. Ooh, they're a little higher than me. Mm. And you walk into a room and you're wondering how other people are perceiving you. You're wanting to make a splash by the way you look, by the way you come across, by how clever you are. And it's amazing to me how broken is in me. When I don't know I'm secure, when I don't know that I've been esteemed by the most important person in the world, God, I find myself trying to find my, my self-constructed identity through silly things. I find myself in conversations and stuff's coming out of my mouth like I'm, I'm spewing out my resume to impress people. And I'm nauseating myself as I'm saying it. Have you ever done this? Well, you probably can't be honest, but that's fine. I do. And I find it coming out. And this is the grace of God. Let you be honest. You're like, oh, my God. You get down with the conversation. You're like, that was exhausting. And if you ever, and maybe you can't see it in yourself, you can always see it in other people. Oh, my gosh. They're always bragging about their kids. If I have to see one more picture of their grandkids, I'm going to throw up. I am just so sick and tired. And then brag, brag, brag. Folks are more and more getting off Facebook because it's like, who can live up to everybody's brag fest going on on Facebook? Everybody's trying to make a splash, pretend their lives are better than they really are. And there's something inauthentic about it. There's something hypocritical about it. And yet I find myself doing it. I remember uh, I was a radio DJ for several years. This is my resume, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, last year I was listening to K-Love, which I don't usually listen to. And I noticed one of the guys on K-Love, his name was Chuck Pryor. And I went, I used to work for Chuck. So when I was in college, Chuck was my boss. And I thought, wow, he sort of made it big. So I called Chuck up, and I got his voicemail. And I just found myself sort of, hey, Chuck, haven't heard from you while this is Chad. And I just wanted to say hi. I would love to say hi. But it was amazing. By the time I got that message, I was just nauseated. I sort of spewed out, here's what I'm doing, and here's how impressive I've been. And I got done. I'm like, oh, I wish I could redo the message, you know. If ever there was a time to go, do you want to redo that? I was like, oh, but it was already recorded, this insecure brag fest. And what is wrong with me? And this is the Bible talks. Instead of you coming into a room and needing to make a splash because you want people to look at you, you're now finally secure enough. You walk into a room and say, I want to make a splash by being a splash to other people. How can I encourage someone in the room? You walk into a room and say, what are people looking at me? You're saying, I wonder who in this room needs encouragement. I wonder who in this room I could, I could pour into. Because you're so secure and you don't have this gaping hole that you need to be filled by other people's approval, you're able to finally make a splash in other people's life. Here's one of God's tweets in Proverbs. It says, As cold water is to a weary soul, so good news is from a far country. That you walk into a meeting, you walk into a party, you walk into a teacher opportunity, you walk into your family room, and instead of saying, well, I need to make a splash, people, this needs to be all about me. How was your day? Now, you feel discouraged because I want you to know how much I believe in you and I care about you. And you start looking at ways to give rather than take. You say, I get a chance to be the cold water to a weary soul. And we're living in tough times. We're living with, where, where our kids get beat up every day with, with, with negative words. And we think, boy, I want to be empathetic to that. And I get a chance to pour water onto those weary souls. After a long day, we want to have a chance to encourage and affirm our spouses and the work that they're doing and the challenges they're up against. We want to make a splash by pouring the, co- the cool words of encouragement into someone we care about. Because it's not about taking, it's about giving to other people. Let's read a story, true story, Sister Marcelo. She was a school teacher and she was teaching seventh grade math. And it was the new math at the time. It's back in the 60s or 70s, can't remember which. 
And so they're teaching the new math, and kids weren't getting it. And they're very discouraged. They're getting very irritated, very impatient with each other and with her. So she just said at the end of class, she had about 15 minutes. She goes, you know what I want you to do? Everyone, I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to write everybody's name from the class. So they wrote everybody's name in the class. For the last 10 minutes, I want you to write something nice that you think of when you think of that person. So for the last 10 minutes of math class that day, they wrote down nice, helpful, loving, caring, makes me laugh. She collected all the papers, and at the end of that day, she sent them all off. They came in the class the next day, and she'd actually compiled. Each person made like a three-by-five card with their name and all of the words from all of their classmates of all the good adjectives and characteristics they had for them. And she passed them out to the class. And as she passed them out, she said, I want you all to read it. And she just watched their body language. It's a math class, after all. Wow, my, my friends think of this about me. Oh, they see this in me. And all of a sudden, the whole spirit of the room, just like everybody stood a little taller, they sat a little higher. The, the, all of a sudden, there was a splash going on as folks' words were impacting their friends around them. And ultimately, what she wanted was them to the pay attention during math class. So it was a success. She didn't think anything of it. Years went by. Several years. She wrote in this article that I read that several years later, she was still a pretty young teacher. She was going home and her parents picked her up at the airport. After the usual small talk on the way home from the airport, her mom turned to her, her dad and said, Dad? With an awkward glance. And dad said, uh, The Ucklands had a tragedy. See, Mark had been in her class, so had Charlie. What happened? I, I remember Mark. I, I had him in seventh grade, if I remember. I said, yeah, Mark, um, you haven't been home in a while, but we just got news last week that Mark died in Vietnam and his funeral's in a few days. A family called and wanted to know if you would show up to the funeral. She said, oh, my goodness. So she went to the funeral, and she said she'd never been to a military funeral and had the guns go off as she saw this handsome young man who had grown from a seventh grader into this soldier who lost his life. As they sang Battle Hymn of the Republic and the priest came and scattered holy water, she just was numb that this life had been snuffed out so early. As she turned to leave, one of his fellow soldiers was there and she said, Are you? Are you Mrs. Marslow? She said, Yeah. He said, You're not going to believe this, but Mark talked about you all the time. Talked about me? She said, yeah, just you made such an impact on his life as a teacher. Huh. She went to the reception afterwards and the family was just grieving together and the mom and dad pulled him aside and said to her aside and said, sister, we, we got to tell you, you're not going to believe this, but they gave us his possessions and they took out his wallet and they said, look what's in his wallet. And that card that she had his classmates fill out in seventh grade was still in his wallet, the thing he died with in Vietnam. To which Charlie, who was back in town for the funeral, who had also been in the class, said, I've still got mine. In fact, his wife said, Charlie so has kept that little note that that class filled out for seventh grade. He made me put it in our wedding album. <laughs> and a couple other students were there and said, I've still got mine, I've still got mine. And she was just struck by a little exercise to keep her class in check, had this ripple effect through time, that in a world with so much negativity and so much lack of appreciation, you and I have the opportunity to be a splash to other people. 
fact, here's a couple proverbs that just speak to that. That a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. And yet every time I'm in a fight, my default is to go to harsh rather than soft. Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And the way you begin to talk softer and make a splash with other people is, again, you get to know God and you catch his attributes. What do I mean? The message of the Bible, whether you believe it or not, let me tell you why you'd want to. The God of the universe who demands worship, who could demand his own way, he came to earth, he became an adapted like us, and then he did not demand his own way. He served others. He walked into a room and grabbed a towel and said, how can I wash your feet? How can I care for you? Where are you hurting? He would rejoice with us. He would weep with us. He would be kind with us. He'd be gentle to us. And you see a God who's so gentle and so kind and so not demanding and so not insecure. He's so secure in who he is that he's always pouring into other people. And when you get to know a God like that, you say, I've got to retweet that. Instead of trying harder to repeat my mistakes, I'm going to retweet his successes. But the first step is getting to know him. And allowing his love and his grace and his wisdom to flow over you so it can flow out of you. So my encouragement for you today, if you want to avoid the rash, if you want to take out the trash and make a splash in other people's lives, if you want your relationships to be better, I want you to pick one of these. We're going to be covering these in the next few weeks. But grab your little um, cheat sheets here, little God tweets. A couple of them I talked about today are right here in the top, top left. There's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Or the one on the far right I talked about today, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So three things I'd like you to do this week. I'd like you to take one of these cards and I'd like you to reflect on it. And I want you to really think about those words. Am I being wise? Am I piercing people, even unintentionally? Am I putting off these things? And do I have the power source Chad described to be able to? And then I'd like you to remind yourself. Where could you put this? We, we made this on a, on a type of paper so you can cut it out and rip it off. Put it in a place that all this week you can remind yourself. And maybe for you it's going to be on the mirror. Maybe it's going to be you know, sitting. Uh, I have all kinds of junk up on the top of my car, uh, so I'll probably lose it up there. But maybe it's going to be on your, uh, on your driver's seat right before, the, before you put the keys in. But someplace every day you're going to just look at this one verse and you're going to say, Okay, that's what God, I want you to do that in me. Show me how you did that to me and how I can do that to others. Maybe it's right before you go into the house after work. How can I do this? How can I be this? How can I retweet this to my family, to my colleagues, to my boss? And then I'd like you to try this. I'd like you to actually try and memorize of these ones that we passed out. I'd like you to pick two as we go through this series. But you say, I'm only going to remind myself, I'm going to memorize it. And then I'm going to re-memorize it. I'm going to re-memorize it over and over again until after several times it's in my head. Because I want this to become part of my heart to change me. In fact, that verse we put up earlier, Proverbs 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. That was a verse I memorized when I was 17. 17, I realized I need to get a hold of this sarcastic tongue that I have that wasn't necessarily promoting a lot of health. So I began to memorize these verses, and they've been with me for 25 years. And I will be right in the middle of a conversation and I will remember that verse from age 17, a word fitly spoken. Chad, does this fit the situation? No, but it's a good zinger. 
Then don't say it. Chad, is this an apple of gold? Not for them. And I'm telling you, these tweets, these God tweets, as you begin to reflect on them, remind yourself, change you. And you find yourself doing things that you never would have done before. In fact, I want to show you this last clip of David. We have a baptism service today. And baptism is really a chance for folks to come forward and say, let me tell you, that when I got close to this God, he changed me in ways I never would have imagined. Let's watch. David, how about your story? What's, uh, what's brought you to this moment? What made you decide that there's time to be baptized? I'd have to mention my mother. My mother did everything she could to bring me to this moment. She raised me in a church. She raised me in a very fundamental church where you would actually see people accept Christ. You would see them run down the aisle. They would cry. It was a very emotional outpouring. And by the time I was 14 or 15, I just knew that wasn't for me, and I walked away from it. And I, I broke her heart. And now I'm being emotional. But then I lived my life, I lived my life, and I got the feeling that somebody was trying to tell me something. And sometimes it was like a kick in the head, but more often than not, it was just that still, small voice. And probably it was six, five years ago, I realized that that voice was the voice of God. And that's what brings me here. That's what brings me here right now. If it wasn't, if there was no crowds here, if it's not, not me here, and you just wanted to tell Christ what He means to you, what He's given you that means the most to you, what would you say that is? I am just grateful that I have made it here. I'm grateful for the gift of life. I would say thank you. Well, baptism is a public thank you for His forgiveness, for His mercy, and for His faithfulness. Sounds like He's been chasing you for a long time. <laughs> We're glad, we're glad he eventually caught up. Do you believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ who dies for you? I do. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit who indwells you? Absolutely. Even if it makes you emotional? Yeah. All right. We'll take that. We're baptizing right. you now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what the power of God does. It just begins to change you in ways you never would have imagined. And so today at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a service where we celebrate that. So we invite you to be part of it if you want to come back and just see stories of folks who are changing. But I want to encourage you. I'm just going to close in prayer. Maybe you want to say, God, I want to walk out here trying harder. I want to work out, walk out of here getting to know you so you can speak through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fun we've had. Thank you for the... Any of the piercings, the good piercings we've had, of you putting your finger in areas we need to work on. And we just ask that your grace will draw us to you if we're investigating you for the first time, or that you'll begin to sink deeper into us, that it will impact our relationships. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, join us for baptism. We're going to have a chance to rejoice with those who rejoice. As you go out today, a third door in the left of the hearth room, we'd love to say hi to you. Or if you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes out there too. Thanks again.